Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Okay, today we talked to Peter Lohman. Peter runs a property management business with over 500 units under management. In this episode, Peter gets into the details of starting his property management business from zero, growing it to 15 employees, and the pros and cons of growth through acquisitions. One of the highlights of this episode, I think, is when Peter gets into the details of a partnership how it functions, compensation. It's a really interesting dynamic because you have two people who are both each other's CEOs. Peter is one of the most clear communicators I've ever met, and you'll understand that listening to this episode. Enjoy. If you listen to our show, you know that we can spend months sourcing businesses, talking with them, negotiating LOIs, conducting due diligence, all for a deal to fall through at the finish line. Microacquire solves that whole problem, whether you're buying or selling a business. As a seller, you're getting introduced to over 50,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. As a buyer, you get to sort through profitable, vetted sellers and close in 30 days. We don't own any digital businesses yet, but over the next year, we're intending to grab a couple, and Microacquire is going to be our choice for a sourcing platform. All right, welcome back to Owned and Operated. If you're digging what you're hearing, check us out at ownedandoperated.com. Make sure to throw us a super good review on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter. We have some really cool stuff coming out pretty much every Monday. So the one that came out today talked about our septic deal. So yeah, that's cool. Today we have Peter Lohman on with us. Peter runs a property management group and also a really good podcast called Owner Occupied. And he's going to be hanging out with us for a little bit, diving into property management and hopefully some of his other adventures. Welcome, Peter. Hey, I'm really excited to be here, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this will be good. This will be real good. How about you give everyone like a little spiel about Peter Lohman? Yeah. So long story short, my background's in engineering. I have a degree in electrical engineering, and I worked as a control systems engineer for about five years. During that time, got interested in real estate, so I started buying some investment properties with my business partner. We bought up a few single-family rental homes here in Columbus. This was from about 20, this was like 2008 to 2012 timeframe. And then during that time, both of us really wanted to, we kind of got the entrepreneur bug at that point. We wanted to do our own thing, own our own business. We didn't want to work for somebody else. So we saw an opportunity to start a property management company here in Columbus because we, in talking with other property owners and just from our own experiences and research, we felt like there wasn't a good property management company designed for real estate investors here in central Ohio. So in 2013, I quit my W2 job as an engineer, started RL Property Management Group, zero clients, zero units, other than what we owned, which was like six properties. It was just me and my apartment. My business partner was like, hey, you go first. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> so he, he paid me like a little stipend for a little while till we got it up and running. And uh, eventually he came on board and we've, we've grown since then. We've been in business eight years now, and today we manage just a hair over 500 units. We've got about 15 people that work here. So long story short, engineer turned business owner. So we do the property management. And then the other big news is we just purchased a small engineering company here in Columbus as well, focused on structural inspections, home inspections, any type of commercial industrial building where you need an engineering opinion or an inspection we do that. That business is called Criterion Liskey. It's a 50-year-old company, dovetails nicely with our property management business. So my business partner now, as of about a month ago, we closed on June 1st. He's off running that company as CEO. So he's out of the day-to-day here at the management company. Yeah, that's really cool. Peter is super active on Twitter. This is more to the guest. 
Obviously, you know you're active on Twitter. But really active on Twitter about property management, but you have not been super active yet about the engineering company. And we were DMing about this the other day. So we're for sure going to dive into that. That's going to be really good. Okay, yeah. Okay, I've got a couple questions just right off the rip based off what you said. And I think Brandon does oh, too. Right. I got some questions. Okay, okay. Questions. Well, you, if I always go first. You go first. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I guess I always like to start at the beginning. So I know you kind of gave the debrief of how, this, how things grew, but I guess what I'm interested in is how did you become interested in property management? Was that just kind of like it happened or was this something that you wanted to get into intentionally? Had no interest in it you know, as a kid or anything like that. And I think almost no one does, to be honest. (laughs) And we have no, (laughs) when I was four, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't have any background in real estate. My family wasn't in it. I didn't grow up around it or anything like that. It's really my business partner who, you know, he and I were reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and The Millionaire Next Door. And some of these books that I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of kickstarts their brain into a different way of thinking. It really did for us. And so he was like, Hey, we should buy a rental property. We can rent it out. So he got us into buying and managing our own rental properties while we were, you know, both engineers. And in that process, we just sort of built up some systems and processes for managing these small handful of units because that's what we do because we're engineers So we just kind of figured as we were looking for an exit from our day job, actually what we thought we were going to do is run around and buy up a bunch more properties and the property management thing would just kind of pay our bills for a little while until we amassed a big enough portfolio. What actually ended up happening is the property management thing kind of took off and then the the market got really hot and it became much harder to buy rental properties at the prices we were comfortable with. So I didn't really set out to build a big property management company. It's just... I end up sort of doing what's in front of me. And so once I was tasked with, hey, we have to build a small property management business. And I just, I've been working on it ever since and it's it's kind of working. So yeah, there was no grand plan or, or anything. So how did that partnership start? My business partner, his name's Adam. He and I actually met in Boy Scouts. We came up through the Scouts together. That's we both became, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a classic American story or something. We both became Eagle Scouts, stayed in touch. He went to Ohio State. He was a year ahead of me. He graduated first, bought a house and got a job as an engineer. And then I graduated a year after him. He helped me get a job at that same engineering firm. And then I moved in with him and rented a room. And then we just immediately like started putting plans together. We even like back in the Boy Scout days had, we were always trying to get into some sort of like business thing. Like we had this company, not company, we had this service we offered where we would convert records to CDs like we would like record them and then like turn them into MP3s and CDs for people. I think we did, had like two paying customers ever, but we were always like looking for another way to make a dollar and just really got lucky that he and I met each other, had the background that we did, and we've had a really successful partnership. We're 50-50 on everything from the rental properties we own to the management company to the engineering company. And are you both in the same type of engineering? No, he's civil and I'm electrical. Okay. I'm biased yeah. towards civil. Just disclosure. Just <laughs> I don't even know the difference. So. <laughs> okay. So this is, say, it's the same partner and everything through now. Has anybody else kind of joined into this or is it still just you two? It's just us two. We do have some limited partners who invested in real estate deals. Other than that, just the two of us. That's really interesting. The dynamics of partnerships is always really interesting. Kelsey has kind of a partner like this that they started off together pretty young and they've been together for 10 years, 12 years. There's this little, it's interesting because it's, it's so one has like the, the big picture mind and the other one has the operations skill set. Mm-hmm. So they kind of pair well together. I guess, do you see that in, in your partnership as well, where you have one person who's focused on the, you know, the day to day or the, we'll call it fine details versus one's got like the big picture idea? I don't know that I would say that. I think he and I, our skill sets overlap quite a bit. We tend to think about things in a very similar way. And actually, that's one of the reasons we had been looking for another business to acquire for quite a while before we finally closed on this engineering company, because there was really, there was no point for both he and I to work at the management company. It was sufficient to have one of us involved because of that fact that our skill sets tend to overlap a little bit. There was just, quite frankly, not enough for both of us to really sink our teeth into in terms of challenges and, you know, workload, I guess, strategic workload. Of course, there's never ending 
tactical workload at a management company, but it wasn't really a good use for both of our time to both of us be fully involved. I think you guys run on EOS, don't you? Not really. Like Not I, really? I'm okay. very familiar with it, but we've, we use a little bit of a hybrid. So he and I are both too close to visionary, I think. In the ideal setup, you know, in the EOS models, you want a visionary and an integrator. And so we're, you know, when he left, it was clear I needed an integrator. We brought on a director of maintenance operations named Josh, who I think is going to be that for our company. I'm really excited about that possibility. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. He's, he just started. So that's awesome. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I have some, I've got some questions now too. My turn. Fire away. 500 units. Is that a big, like, where does that fall in the property management hierarchy of size? Yeah. Sounds well, like a lot. Yeah. Property management is kind of a broad space and it's segmented, right? So there's what you call single site management, which would be a huge apartment building, like over 100 units. And in that space, you know, you picture there's probably hundreds of those single site properties throughout the greater central Ohio area. Now, some of those are owned and operated Ah, (laughs) by the owner of the property, and they do the management in-house, and some of them are managed by a third party. We don't compete in that space because we are what you would call a scattered site property management company, meaning we manage the ones and twos and 20-unit and 50-unit apartment communities where there's no on-site management. So in the world of scattered site management, again, you do have a lot of real estate investors who self-manage and they may be self-managing, you know, a duplex, 50 units. They even built up, they may even build up a management team in-house to manage hundreds of units. So in the world of third-party management of scattered site units, we are in the top five biggest in Columbus. There's a few other firms that are managing a similar amount right around that 500. And then I think there's one or two that are managing maybe like around a thousand. So we are, I don't know, I guess medium-sized. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're still very small, but we're getting, one of the goals we've had for many years now is to manage 1% of all rental units in Columbus. That ends up being about 1,300 units. So we're kind of getting close to halfway. I think that'd be a cool milestone to hit. Yeah, that would be. That'd be really cool. Now, does growth accelerate in a property management company? Like, I guess what I'm trying to figure out, how, what do I mean by that? You guys smell like scale? I guess. Does the flywheel just burn faster the bigger you get? So are are you always bringing on 20 new clients a month or is it always like you grow 10% consistently? It doesn't like build momentum at all. In fact, it's almost the opposite because the bigger you get. So in property management, it's interesting because it's almost like a recurring revenue software business, like a SaaS, right. where the lifetime value of a customer is very high. And so you have to pay really close attention to your customer acquisition cost and your lifetime value of a customer and your churn rate. So churn is extremely important in property management because it's extremely labor intensive and expensive to onboard a new client and a property. And if they churn out a year later, you've pretty much lost money on that whole account. You would have been better off having never managed it in the first place. What you really want is to manage a property for four, five, eight years. And so what that means in practice is you're always going to have a certain amount of churn due to people selling their homes or apartments. And that ends up being like right around 10%, maybe 15% annually. You're just going to churn out through attrition, through no fault of your own and through nothing you really could have done about it. So as you get bigger and bigger, that number gets bigger and bigger. So if you're churning 10 units out of 100, not a huge deal. If you're churning 100 units out of 1,000, that's you know that's a lot of units that you have to replace just to be at zero, right? So you have to not only fill backfill your churn, but then have growth on top of that if you want to continue to grow. So the bigger you get, the harder it becomes to continue to grow because you have to add that many more units per year to keep up the growth. And there's very little like natural organic growth. Like it's not like people are just going to call you out of nowhere and give you units to manage. You know, you, you do get inbound leads, but they don't come for free. There's very little sort of word of mouth because property investment property owners, especially the older ones who own the properties you really want to be managing, 
they don't tend to like socialize and network with each other. A lot of them are self-managing to begin with. So there's not just like a natural like, oh yeah, you need a plumber. Oh yeah, my neighbor used, you know, blah, blah, blah. They were great. There's not a lot of that. So it becomes, I think, very difficult to grow organically as you scale. Now, what a lot of property management companies do to overcome this is, is growth by acquisition, right? And we've done that twice before where we've purchased a book of business from a competitor. So boom, suddenly we grow by 100 units overnight, 50 units overnight. That's great when you can find it. It's rare and the numbers have to really make sense in order to, to do that. That's really interesting. I have never thought about it like that. I always thought property management was a tough business in general. Well, we talked about this when I was on your podcast a few months ago. Like, I think it's a really cool platform, but I think it's like, it's tough, man, tenants and just all that stuff. But then the, yeah, you know, it's the hard side of thing. That's tough. That's interesting. I think I have more questions on the property management company, but I really want to dive into the engineering since I think this will be the first time you've talked about it publicly. I think, yeah, it, certainly it'll be the first time I've talked about it in detail. I've kind of mentioned it in passing here and there. Sweet. Yeah. Let's do this thing. <laughs> Tell us about cool. it. Cool. We want to know, right. like, this is cool. How'd you yeah, find it? So, yeah, I'll, I'll give a brief backstory. So yeah. if we rewind all the way to the point where Adam and I were working as engineers, as W2 employees, you know, we obviously took note of those businesses that we worked in. And he and I both worked in like two different consulting engineering companies. So consulting engineer is like you get hired by a third party to do engineering work as opposed to like if Nestle hired you to run like their oper- their manufacturing facility or something and you're working directly for Nestle. So consulting engineering so we took note of, of how the dynamics of that business worked. And one of the things that we liked about that line of work is that the profit margins were high because you could bill out the engineers at a very high hourly rate and you could pay them some you know market wage and there'd be plenty of money left over. So like the revenue per employee looked really good. The gross margins looked really good. What we did really didn't like about the, the businesses that we observed was it's project oriented. So you're constantly chasing your next job. And when the jobs dry up, you have to lay people off. And when it's busy, you have to hire. And you really don't control your own destiny in that sense because you're, you're constantly having to like chase work and be hired by these large companies that, engineering, that need engineering work. So you can contrast that with property management, the first business we started, which was extremely predictable recurring revenue. I mean, I can predict my revenue for July here down to, you know, within like 10 bucks or something. I mean, it's crazy. So that said, we were engineers at heart. We really like engineering. We feel it was a strong suit of ours. So we kind of always had in the back of our minds, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to start an engineering firm? Hopefully one that wasn't so project oriented. And we think we could do really well with that. Had been kind of keeping our eye out in the background over time, we, came more from, we became more familiar with this idea that, hey, you don't have to start a company. You can actually buy an existing company, entrepreneurship through acquisition, all the rage on Twitter these days. So we kind of learned about that a few years ago and started to keep our eye out. Well, what ended up happening was my business partner, Adam, he started working with a coach, an executive coach, based on a recommendation from me because I had worked with a coach and I really liked it. I was like, hey, you really need to start working with a coach, a business coach. I think you're going to like it, get a lot out of it. So almost immediately upon signing up with a coach that he found, the coach was like, you need to do more networking and get out and like talk to people and and be out and about in the marketplace. Because my business partner is much more of like an engineer's engineer, very much an introvert, very much a numbers guy, doesn't, you know, naturally want to be on a podcast, for example. So he started to do that and almost immediately got introduced to this guy named Don who worked, who owned this company, Criterium Liskey. So they got to chatting and Don was like, hey, you know, we really work with engineers on a contract basis. If you have any extra time, we could use your help doing some of these inspections. So Adam started out doing some inspections for this guy, just kind of on the side, you know, like one-offs. And then very quickly learned from Don that he was looking to retire and he didn't really know what to do. He, he wanted to exit from the business, but none of the employees were like, you know, lined up to be able to do that or to acquire it from him. So Adam was like, well, hey, you know, we should talk about that. So they talked and pretty quickly, honestly, came to a, a rough agreement on what that could look like. Meanwhile, Adam was continuing to do these contract jobs, you know, engineering consulting jobs 
that was great because he got to see the company from the inside, right? So he got to observe the dynamics. He got to know the people that worked in the office. He got to see the numbers and they built up a lot of trust between buyer and seller through that process. So eventually after I think probably six to nine months of doing that, we got really serious. We started negotiating numbers, came to agreement on price. The seller agreed to do a lar- a very nice seller financing package for us. We originally were going to do SBA. Quickly realized that was a nightmare and it it was taking too long. And the seller was like, hey, why don't I just like seller finance almost the whole thing? We're like, okay, great. So yeah. So then closing took forever, but we finally closed and it went really smoothly. And then my business partner, like the day we closed, he went over to run that company and we had put been putting plans in place for him to exit because he was still very much involved here at RL Property Management. And it's funny because actually the day up until a few weeks after the business was closed, I had never met Don, the seller, and I had never even been to the office. <laughs> I was just like taking it on faith that my business partner was <laughs> taking this money and actually buying this company and kind of joked about that. But yeah, so all went smoothly and he's you know hard at work over there. So Adam was sort of doing a job and a half or two full-time jobs for a few months to... Not exactly. I mean, he was just doing a couple hours a week, you know, for these inspections, like after hours or on weekends for the engineering firm. I mean, that's awesome. I love that whole story. But the placing somebody in, that was a big deal for us. We just did that in the company we acquired and we're, we're intending to do it from here on out because it was, it is amazing. I mean, you get built-in trust. It makes the shock factor less. You know, like the team already knows this person because they've met them, they worked with them a little bit. And, yeah. and you get actual data of what's going on in the company that you would never get <laughs> in like right. a due diligence lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay. Yeah, so, in fact, there was so much of that that Don's actually continuing to do work now as an employee, as a contract employee of his old firm. And it was funny, my my partner and I were looking at the numbers and we think he actually might make more money now as a contract employee than he did when he owned the business because the way he had everything priced and the way he was he was running the numbers in terms of because the way it works is all the engineers are 1099 and they get a split of every job they do. Well, the way he had those splits set up and everything, his like net earnings, I think were like less than what he's going to make as a contract employee of his old company, which basically means he was subsidizing his employees when he was owning the business, which is a little sad, I guess, but it worked for him. He seemed happy. The employees were happy, but yeah. Huh. That's interesting. All right. So you're a month and a half in. Mm -hmm. Was this a stock sale or an asset? We went back and forth on this a few times. Now, where did we land on this? You would have, if it, it was, was an, an asset, asset sale, sale. Okay. If it was an yeah. asset sale, you'd have to change payrolls and benefits and all that stuff. Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So tell us about the first month. I know you don't have an operational role, but I feel like you and Adam talk a lot about it. Yeah. Now, the other thing I'll throw in here is that this is a, this is a franchise. So Criterium oh, yeah. is based out of Maine and they have like 30 offices, I think, across the United States of criterium dash. X. It's usually like the last name of the owner of the business. So Criterium Liskey itself, which is the Columbus franchise or the Central Ohio franchisee, has been around for 50 years. So through this whole process, not only years. were we... What's that? 50 years. 50. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. So Don, the seller, was the second owner. He purchased it from the founder years wow. ago. And it was a franchise that whole time or someone converted it into a franchise at some point? It was a franchise the whole time. In fact, the original franchise agreement was a 50-year agreement that that ended this year, like concurrent with this whole sale and everything. So it was kind of a mess because the franchisor, of course, they need to approve any sale of the business and they wanted us to sign a new franchise agreement. And I'll let you, I'll leave it as a, as an exercise to the reader to decide in which way the terms went on the renewal for the franchise agreement. Spoiler alert, it went in favor of the franchisor. So we had to like get comfortable with the franchise agreement and like bring the franchisor along for the whole process of, yes, we're going to buy this business. Yes. Adam's going to run it. 
yes, he's because you you have to be a licensed professional engineer to be an owner of the business. It's like, yes, he's a licensed PE. Oh, yes, there's this other guy who's going to own half of it. No, he's not going to be involved. Yes, he's an engineer. No, he doesn't have a PE. <laughs> it was a big process. But yeah, so in terms of how it's been going, I think it's been going really well. One of the things that Adam and I did on day one practically was raise prices because the inspection and consulting engineering work that this firm was doing, we felt like the value they were providing was much higher than the prices they had been charging. So we did raise prices that seemed to have absolutely no effect on work volume. So I was like, great, that worked. And I think, of course, Adam's been consumed with all the logistics of switching over the payroll, switching over the internet, switching over the utilities, Mm -hmm. getting organized and set up at the office. You know, they were running on like, they have like a server somewhere in that office that they're like still (laughs) running on, like move everything over to web-based software. He rolled out Service Fusion to run everything on. And I think that's been going really well. I know they looked at Service Titan, which I think you guys really recommend. He looked at that too. It seemed like Service Fusion was a better fit for the type of work that they do, which is like, you know, it's not like truck stuff. I know you guys love truck stuff. It's not really truck stuff. It's guys in cars just driving and looking at houses. So this is really cool. So what's the org chart look like on this business? It's very small because it's really just Adam and there's like three, two or three office employees who help with like accounting and admin. And then I think there's like 12 contract PEs, professional engineers who actually do the inspections. So it's still pretty, it's pretty small business. Yeah. So for the contract employees, are they like, is this a significant amount of their personal income or are they doing this for a bunch of other firms? Like how much of a hold do you have on those contractors? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. So for some of them, it's a large portion of their, of their income. For some of them, it's like, Hey, I have availability every other weekend, you know, or whatever for three hours. Mm -hmm. It depends a little bit on the type of work they're doing. Like we have one guy that does all the association reserve studies. So, you know, that horrible thing that happened in Miami where, where the, the condo collapsed. Yeah. So the condo associations who run those buildings and and the homeowners associations across the country, every five years by law, the reserve study, which basically means they hire a company to go in and look at the age of everything that the association is responsible for, look at the replacement costs and the remaining life, and then make a determination of how much the condo fee should be to make sure that they're saving appropriately for these reserves for replacements. A lot of them don't do it. But when they do do it, if they're in central Ohio, a lot of them call Criterion Liskey because we have a guy who's like an expert at doing these association reserve studies. So he does almost full time that type of work. Other folks are doing home inspections, commercial building inspections and stuff like that. Yeah. So you said it paired really well with the property management company. How so? And like, what was the thesis and what happened in the first month? Well, it dovetails nicely because... There's a lot of overlap in terms of referral partners. So a lot of business in both companies comes from professionals who are involved in real estate transactions, realtors, brokers, CPAs, lawyers, title company, you know, anyone who touch you know, mortgage brokers, anyone who's touching a, a property transaction is often going to be asked, Hey, who do you recommend for a property manager? Who do you recommend? I need to have an inspection done. So a lot of those relationships, we can sort of leverage both networks both ways and say, hey, I know you know us about property inspections, but by the way, we own a management company and vice versa. So there's some of that. There's also just straight up, you know, if our property management client needs an inspection on a new building they're buying, hey, we have a sister company that does that um, or vice versa. Houses? Like if I was buying an investment home, you guys would inspect it? Right. Is this different from the love? This isn't like a property inspector. It's like I have a foundation concern or something like it's more specialized. It's both. I mean, generally you're going to hire us if you have a very old property or a specific structural concern because it's a little pricier, but we do plenty of just normal home inspections as well. Oh, really? Especially if, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Do you have a growth plan? I know it's a month in, but you know, do you have an intention on how you plan to grow that? The engineering firm specifically? Yes. So we've got some revenue targets and we're essentially going to leverage what we've learned about growing and marketing the management company and apply that to the engineering firm. So when Adam and I started the property management company, 
we knew nothing about running a business. We, I had never, neither of us had ever even had direct reports. You know, we had never even managed anybody, let alone start and run a company, let alone figure out how to do AdWords and marketing and hire a sales guy and everything. So we've kind of learned everything the hard way on how you grow a business and structure an org chart and hire and fire and everything. So the plan is to take all that sort of business, general business knowledge and apply it to the engineering firm, which has sort of been stagnant for many years. I mean, almost in decline in terms of annual revenues because the owner was, you know, he was ready to retire. He wasn't going to reinvest in a big marketing Mm -hmm. campaign and he was, he was running on word of mouth. So yeah, we, you know, we've got some ideas around like, for example, those association reserve studies. It's pretty easy to get a list of all the associations in central Ohio and the service area because it's a franchise. I think we have like nine counties in central Ohio that is like our service area for Criterium. So you get a list of all the associations there, you know, hit them up with direct mail, like, hey, is it time for your five-year reserve study? You know, we can help you with that, stuff like that. And then the other big challenge with Criterium is recruiting. So you need licensed professional engineers to do all this work. And of course, most of those guys are employed W-2 doing something else. And so you got to find guys who want to earn some extra money or kind of semi-retired. So Adam was able to to put together, like he got somehow through, I think, ASCE, which is like the civil engineer group trade organization, like a list of, hey, here's all the licensed PEs in Central Ohio. So he did some email blasts. He got great response from that in terms of recruiting. I think he's got a few guys lined up to start doing work for us. So yeah. That reminds me of Ryan Solentrop a little bit, just sort of building the business around people's free time. Yeah. I want to dive back into the partnership a little bit more because I just think it's interesting. Obviously, we've talked to other people that have 50-50 partners. This is unique because you guys are 50-50, but like managing now different operating entities. Yeah. So I'm curious about like what does co-managing those look like or it's just like, hey, you do your thing. I'm going to do mine. I'll talk to you in a year. Like, <laughs> like we, we, I don't know. That, like, can yeah. we dive into that? Great topic. Yep. So a couple things to think about there. A couple things I think I'll hit on. One is compensation, right? So how do you compensate two CEOs of two different sized companies and how much of that compensation should pass through to the CEO and how much of it should be shared 50-50 with both owners? So let me come back to that because that, that was a really tough nut to crack actually. And I wanted to, I, I wanted to be really careful with how we did that. The other thing is just like on a day-to-day basis, you know, how are we supporting each other or keeping in touch? So it's still new, but what we've landed on so far is for years now, we've had monthly executive meetings with the management company. And that's where we review the financials of the previous month. We look at all of our KPIs and we just kind of take a high level view of how's the business doing? Where are we going? What are we doing? So we're going to continue to do that, of course. And now it'll be more like, I'm reporting to him on, hey, here's what's going on with RL Property Management. And then we'll have a second meeting. So we'll really end up with two meetings a month now on he's reporting to me. Here's how things are going with Criterion Liskey. And those are actually, instead of executive meetings, are essentially going to be board meetings. So, and then outside of that, he and I have a standing weekly meeting every Monday. I think it's at 1 p.m. for like two hours just to catch up on more like day-to-day operational stuff. So, We'll see if that's the right cadence. You know, he and I are best friends, so we talk a lot anyway. Just, you know, we'll hang out on weekends and stuff. So naturally, talk turns to business. So that's what that's going to look like. The I think what I'm really hoping is that we're going to do a great job of holding each other accountable. I think one of the problems with both of us being in the management company is that we started to get a little bit complacent. We started to get just a little too comfortable with, yeah, I worked on this and I worked on that. And yeah, how's that been going? Oh, yeah, I know that kind of sucks. Just kind of like almost becomes like a gripe session instead of, hey, actually, you said you were going to do that. So what's up? Because like that should be done by now. He and I can pull incredible performance out of each other. I think we both want to meet or exceed each other's expectations, which is a great thing to have in a partnership. But we can also sort of, you know, not do that and just sort of like let each other off the hook because we have, we're best friends and we go back so far. So we're not really going to get each other's faces. Right. So 
how do you complement those two behaviors in a way that that works? So on the compensation, that was hard because I had talked to a couple other folks who had done something similar like this, where they had a 50-50 partner, and then one of them went off and you know bought a business and started running it. And it's like, I had heard that after a few years, there can become an issue if one of the businesses really takes off and is like five times, becomes five times the size of the other company. Mm-hmm. The guy who's running the more successful business is suddenly going to be like, well, what the hell? Why is this guy who helped me with a little bit of money five years ago getting 50% of the earnings every year? Like that's not, you know, he's hardly been involved. Why should he again be entitled to half the cash flow or whatever? And so you have to figure out like, there's two ways to get compensated as a CEO owner of a business. One is for your day-to-day activities in the business. And that's, you know, your pay for that role should be comparable to what it would cost to replace you, right? So what would it cost to replace me as the president of RL Property Management? What would I have to pay that person in salary to get equal or similar performance to what I'm currently doing. So that should be like my W2 or, you know, it's not, we don't take it all in W2, but essentially should be my payroll. And then what's left over, of course, gets shared among ownership and it's shared by equity split. You know, we own 50-50, so it goes 50-50. So then it's like, okay, well, we we really want to be incentivizing the right things. So we want to do like a operator bonus, right? So at the end of the year, if the CEO grew the business by 20% and kept profit margins above X, he should get a bonus. And that should be like variable depending on how much it grew. And because you want to set up the right incentives. And then it's like, all right, well, that comes out of... So anyway, it gets really complicated pretty quick, but we ended up with a structure that I think we both like. We, we did a little bit of like a fudge factor to offset for the fact that he's running off and running a much smaller business with the idea of growing our RL empire. So he'll be sort of like, he'll get a little bit of a lift on his compensation for the first few years to give that business time to get, you know, more in line with the size of our property management. That is really interesting. I'm just like letting that wash over me. <laughs> I'm glad for you guys that you dove as deep as you did into exact compensation. Cause I feel like that is, I mean, you're absolutely right. That could be a total train wreck in a couple of years if that wasn't handled right. And it sounds like you guys did. That's awesome. And the weekly, is it a level 10 or is, mm-hmm. is that actually, yeah. So the weekly level 10 thing, that's cool. And do you have like, is there daily reporting or an actual report, KPI report that you guys read over to show what you accomplished or didn't accomplish? Monthly there is. So at the board meeting, we do do that, not on a weekly basis. Yeah. I run a weekly level 10 with my leadership company, which is my director of property management and my director of maintenance operations. And that does have a scorecard. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Yeah. That's really cool. Okay. So have you been to the office now? I was there one time. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I stopped nice. by just to see it. Hey, you know that it was real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's cool. All right. I'm trying to think what other questions I have on the engineering firm. I have one set of curiosity because from Dwyer Group previously, their franchise fees were always kind of interesting, the royalties and all that kind of stuff. Without violating a charter, are you allowed to say what the royalties look like for an engineering firm? I don't even remember the exact number, so I don't probably have to worry about violating it. You know, it's some single digit percent of revenue, I think, if I remember right. We felt like it was fair. We did a lot of exploration of what do we actually get for that? How much support is provided by corporate? How much marketing and advertising do they do for us? Are they providing for us things like standard forms, standard contracts? Is there any sort of back office functions and features that they provide? And we we got really comfortable with the ownership there. Adam met, I think, met and talked with them multiple times and felt really good about how they were doing things, what they were going to be providing, and how it was all going to be structured. So that was a big question I had going in. In fact, I was kind of skeptical on the business when I first heard about it because I'm like, a franchise, really? Like, we're not newbies here. Do we really want to be you know, tied in with this stupid franchise? But the Criterion franchise actually has been really impressive. I've been really happy with what I've seen from them. They have strong marketing. If you follow them on like LinkedIn, you'll see that they have they actively promote you know their franchisees and their businesses. And they've got growth goals of their own that they want to work with the franchisees to meet. You know, the other really cool thing about being part of a franchise network that I was interested in is they share 
financials and KPIs across all the franchisees. Yeah. Right. So you can see, in fact, they do an annual survey even on things like pricing. So they, there's a pricing list that goes around every year where you fill out a survey, how much do you charge for a home inspection? How much do you charge for a commercial building inspection? How much do you charge for a reserve study? And they compile those results and share them with all the franchisees. So now you know where you are relative to the 30 other offices. You say, oh, shoot, we're like cheaper than 80%. We really got to raise our prices or what have you. And they also, there's competition to see who's got the most growth this year and who's bringing in the most revenue this year. And so you can see where you are sort of on the leaderboard. So that was really appealing to me because one of the things that was hard about running a property management business is you have no idea how you're doing because there's so little communication and everyone's business is so different that it's hard to know, like, am I charging appropriately? Am I compensating employees appropriately? Do I have room to push pricing or, or am I already sort of at the top of my market? You guys have mentioned something a few times. I want to say yeah. SGI. Yeah. Is that like a, okay. Whatever that is, I kind of want to hear a little more about it because I almost want to start it for property management because it sounds awesome. And so that was a really attractive move of the engineering company after I learned more about it. I think people sort of tend to shit on franchises. I mean, it's tough. Like the fees are tough. Like I get it, but you do get so much out of it. Like we looked at, well, for some of them, sorry, some are terrible. Yeah. So like that's a, you know, <laughs> this is not best in advice, but you know, whatever the disclaimers, <laughs> we looked at a franchise in late 2019 and that like what you just said was, that was it. That was it for us. Like we wanted, we hadn't joined SGI yet. So we didn't have like industry-wide metrics. We didn't know what our KPI should be. Yeah. You just, you can't hit what you don't know to aim for. Yeah. And there's also an element of showing you what's possible. Right? Oh, yeah. It's the old thing about hitting the four minute mile. Like yeah. one guy does and you're like, oh shit, I can do that. Once you see another yeah. office like hitting milestones or hitting KPIs, you're like, like okay, yeah. this is possible. Yeah. Finding out guys are doing 25% net profits was like, holy crap, that's insane. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, we looked at, we actually looked at a Dwyer group. We looked at a Mr. Handyman franchise and we thought it'd pair well. And, you know, we sort of went through all the process. We got to know the owners. We did all that. And then we got access to a few of the franchisees. And that was cool. Just how open everybody was. And it was awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. And then we talked to, who else did we talk to? Oh, Mills introduced me to the guy. What podcast is he on? I'm going to botch this, but he's like the largest franchisee for two men in a truck. Okay. And he's down in the Carolinas. Really cool guy. Very smart. But I think that's the other side of franchises that are really cool is that this guy just goes in and acquires either moving companies or two men in a truck franchises that are badly operated. And he just has a standard operating procedure that he can just throw in place. And it's easy. I remember that episode. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it was good. And so, I mean, that's the beauty of a franchise is, yeah, if it's, if it's maybe just a one-off or a two-off, I get it. But like you can scale, you can scale on somebody else's system. And that's, that's pretty cool. Yep. That's my unasked for opinion on franchises. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we joined SGI in late 2019. It's not a franchise. It's just like a contractor network, but that would be really cool for property management. But it was awesome. It gave us SOPs. It gave us metrics and we had had our own KPIs and metrics, but what we didn't have was transparency into what was actually good for market. And we found out, hey, big surprise, we weren't good for market because we, you know, we didn't even know what to aim for. So like our payroll for the field was way higher than it should have been. And our average ticket was lower than it should have been. And our, we weren't tracking call volume and we were just sort of doing all this stuff wrong. And once we found out, oh, you can do that. Okay. And then, you know, within about six, eight months, we had most of it fixed. Now, is that like a trade organization or like, what is it? It's basically a trade organization, yeah. Okay. So there's a buy-in. I don't remember what it is, honestly. And then there's a weekly fee, and it's a flat fee. It's not percentage-based. So that's kind of cool because you can scale, and it doesn't scale with you. (laughs) Yeah, that's always I love those. Yeah, I do like that. (laughs) It's probably the closest contractor network to a franchise that you can get without it actually being a franchise. It's pretty darn close to a franchise. Yeah, yeah, it It is. It has the SOPs. It has operating. It's basic kind of operating day to day forms. That's where our price book comes from. Right. It's it's literally everything that you would get out of a franchise without the franchise fees. Yeah. Now the price book, like, is that giving actual dollar amounts to charge for certain things? Or yeah, Yeah, there's like multiple levels, and uh, the so the price book comes in like you know, let's say it's like we use like the two fifty book, right? 
So it's a certain level and all the pricing is based off of that. So we could jump to a 275 or 300 and it goes all up to, I don't even know what. what the yeah, because it changes is. depending on cost of living and all that stuff. Yeah, your market. Now there's no like antitrust concern with that where your like competitors are sort of colluding to set prices and stuff. Like it's not an issue. Not. I, know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Silence. Because I think it's like you're just buying into a contractor network. It'd be yeah. like, I mean, it'd be like a franchise colluding. Really, like, you know, everyone's paying for sort of a, it's basically a packaged business system that you buy and you just implement. I'm a big fan <laughs> of these things. I think when I was, when I was a young man, <laughs> when I was a young man. Yeah, well, yeah, back when you were a young man. Okay, <laughs> yeah, back, go on. Yeah, nice. yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Anyways, back when I was a young man, I always looked at these things and I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Basically what you said earlier, like, ah, we're not, you know, we're not. Yeah, how hard can this be? I'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years, and I cobbled together, like, the shittiest collection Mm -hmm. of systems (laughs) known to man. That's that's exactly what we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 it's just terrible. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, well, at least I did it on my own. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And unfortunately, I think it's almost like there's probably a lot of people that do that because – the, if to have the right mindset to be a successful entrepreneur almost requires you to disregard what other people are doing because almost by definition, if you're like, I'm going to go start a business, what you're implicitly saying is all these other companies that are already doing what I'm about to do suck. Yeah, That's why I'm going to go do it better. Yeah. So you're sort of like, why would I want to take advice from all these companies that I'm saying that we're going to be better than? Yeah, I did a blog post a while ago on like things I would do differently if I was going to start all over. One of them was joining the trade groups and like adopting the industry best practices as soon as possible instead of reinventing the wheel. I think that would have like saved a, us a few a years. Worse wheel, usually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I would have done the same. I would have done the same thing if I could have joined three years earlier. I wish I would have. It would have saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars in just lost time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are there industry groups for property management that give you sort of the same stuff that SGI does? Kind of. So there's NARPM, National Association of Resident Property Managers, which is really a trade group for property management companies that are managing single family homes, like single family rentals, which we do a lot of. We have a mixture of single family and small multifamily. So they're really good. Their conferences are great. I've met some incredible people through that network. I think a lot of it has helped catapult us to where we are today. But I think these trade groups are, we're at a weird spot right now because trade groups 15 years ago were just invaluable. They were irreplaceable, right? If you wanted to meet other people who are doing what you're doing, get the best practices, get the SOPs, just figure out what was happening in your industry, you had to be a member. But today that's not the case. I mean, there's Facebook groups, there's Twitter, there's email newsletters. I mean, there's you like there's guys who are selling SOPs for property managers just independently that are excellent right now. There's actually two different groups that sell those. So the need and the requirement for a trade group in property management, I think is becoming less and less important. And the trade organizations themselves are not keeping up. So what they really need to be doing now is providing a value that can't be found anywhere else. Right. And so for a while, the network was kind of the value because you couldn't find your people unless you went through them. But that's not the case anymore. So I really feel like the trade organizations need to sort of reinvent themselves and lean more heavily into things like what SGI, it sounds like they're providing. That's not something you're just going to produce in a Facebook group. That's going to be, you're going to have to pay somebody for years to compile that data prepare the report, update it annually, you know, and that's the type of thing that someone would join a group for. So I don't know. It's, it's like, there's a lot of value still in these groups, but I think the value proposition is dropping over time. So it's interesting to watch. And there's some other ones, depending like there's IRM Institute of Real Estate Management. That's another big one. And then there's the National Apartment Association, NAA, which is like the big one for the hundred plus unit apartment building managers and owners. And are you guys a part of one? We are not. I've actually been thinking about joining. It's extremely expensive, but I think down the road, I could see us getting into management of those bigger apartment buildings, even though it's a little bit of a different world. And the first step is going to be to join the local chapter of that and start going to the meetings. What got me to finally pull the trigger on one of these contractor groups was 
it was really pretty straightforward. I was sitting there and I was like, well, how do I pull myself back? So I decide I designed this business, which is a random collection of systems and processes that make sense to me. But how could I pull myself back, place a president, and then do this again over and over and over again with my hodgepodge systems? And the answer is I can't. Like it was a total mess. And it's you could scale without it, but it, again, it would be a mess. So like just do it. So that was the motivation. That was the motivation for me. But obviously you're you're still like working inside RL property management. So probably a lot yeah. different. So Brandon, you came in with SGI or before or after? Pretty much the day John decided to implement it. I think okay. like day two I came in, I got I handed the SGI logins and said, Hey, implement this. Mm-hmm. So we started right off the rip. Yeah, just with I think basics. I had joined like a month before and I knew I was going to join because I was looking for a system because I wanted to back out of the business. So I was looking for a system. There's three big ones in plumbing and HVC. I picked That's one amazing. I and yeah. I needed somebody like better at details than me to implement. So Brandon's job that, was implementation. Yeah, that's such a beautiful thing because it, you know, if you're running on SGI or one of the one of these systems, I mean, you can hire people that are familiar with that. They speak the same language. They understand it. Like, so just people out of any franchise actually do pretty well with it. Yeah. Just that's like, really cool. Cause they understand basic SOPs. They understand, Oh, there's rules. Oh, there's metrics. And you know, they could have been for a Wendy's, but like they would still get that there as a model versus a typical mom and pop company that they're like, there is no model. There's no rules. There's yeah. No accountability. We're kind of building our own, you know, using EOS as a guide for the most part. But if I were to pull someone in who worked at another property management company to sort of run things, I mean, they'd be at sea for a while because every property management company is so different in the way they do things and the way they bill and the way they position themselves in the market. It's it's just really challenging. It gives me a headache thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So what does the training look like for your new operations guy? So Josh, let's right? see. Josh, yeah. Hey so he came in. We have employee handbooks that contain all of like our company policies that are like general for all employees. Like, hey, here's our time off policy and stuff like that. And then we have specific work instructions for every position. Like, hey, here's how you enter a work order. And so, you know, we hand hand him that binder and say, you know, start reading this, and we'll start training you as we go on the different things that you need to know how to do. The problem with these binders is they very quickly become out of date. And so I've just actually like just laws or changing of processes, changing of processes and just like company policies and procedures that change over time. It's happening less like the older we get, the less those things tend to change over time. Like they're changing less quickly because we found a way that works. But I actually just started migrating those to Notion. Have you guys ever messed with Notion? No, I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's like an online wiki slash database. That's super easy to use and very, the search is amazing. So what I'm trying to do now is migrate all of those company policies and procedures and work instructions into Notion. That way we can all have the latest version at all times. And when we have a new employee, I can just give them a login and say, hey, here are the specific instructions that are applicable to you. I like tag them with his job description or job title or whatever. Have a look and, you know, you can embed images, you can link to things, you can have little videos. We're big on using Loom to record like quick little videos of, hey, here's how you enter a recorder in our property management software. And you can fire that off to somebody and rather than taking 20 minutes to write up instructions and it's still not clear. It's much simpler to record a quick video of, here's how you do this. It takes two minutes and then they can have it and watch it. Yeah, that's really cool. Loom? Loom, yeah. It's free for up to like six minute videos or something. And you just click record and it's recording the screen and your face. And you can just... It's like having someone stand over your shoulder while you show them how to do something, but it's recorded so they can watch it over and over. Oh, that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, it's super powerful. So what you can do then is if you have a digital process document, like here's a 10-step process on handling a hot water heater replacement, you can have a combination of pictures, written instructions, and then these Loom videos showing exactly here's how you do this in our system. So it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, we're starting to manage more of a sort of distributed business now. We have a bunch of remote employees, two soon to be four locations, and training is only becoming <laughs> more it's complicated. Becoming a chore. It's becoming yeah. more complicated. <laughs> Our training is completely built 
around in-person training, like completely. And so we had to relearn, we had to relearn our training process as we brought on remote employees. And I think we have five now. And that was fascinating. And now we're going to have to relearn it again with really to just make it easier as we onboard people onto our new CRM. So maybe we look into this Loom thing. That'd be kind of cool. Nice. I've heard good things about Trainual. That's another one I've heard a lot about for like specifically for training. We're actually getting ready to hire our first true remote employee. So I'm excited to see how that goes. It sounds like you guys have had really good luck. Yeah, it's been a learning curve. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's been a learning curve. Like, I think I'm glad we did it. If the only reason people are doing, so ours are offshored. If the only reason people are doing this is to save money, it's probably not a good idea. For us, it was a competitive advantage to be able to scale our call center quick because we're bringing out all these other companies. So, you know, we needed to take our call center from like three to probably 15 to 20 within like a year. And doing that wow. stateside would be very difficult. Like, I don't, I honestly don't think we could do it just because the candidates in that type of work like don't exist right now <laughs> because, you know, low skill work and whatever. But it has been complicated. But yeah, the advantages for us is it's, it's quick to scale. You can find good talent. But you need to monitor it like crazy and you have to add coaching and brand new, you know, training modules and all this stuff that you would have never really needed. Otherwise, it's very complicated. (laughs) (laughs) What phone system do you use for that? We just switched to an enterprise level system through Verizon. Okay. Wow. We use Ring Central for everything here. Ring Central is good. It, It was nice that the problem we actually ran into is there's very few of them that work well when you go remote and especially like a lot of ours are over the Philippines. So it makes it complicated with their internet. Verizon Connect is actually, I'm sorry, not a Connect, um, Contact Center. Uh, we're able to use the specific phone numbers and a couple different VPN situations over there that allow it to transfer over without a whole bunch of this technology. Let's just call it that. <laughs> Fancy stuff with packet loss, yada, yada, that creates a whole mm-hmm. bunch of issues with voice over IP that they were able to solve. Ring Central is actually when we looked at it and they had a lot of issues when you tried moving overseas, they had a lot of uh, connectivity issues. Mm. So you'd lose mm. like server connections in the middle of a phone call and they'd be down for a decent time. Interesting. We don't have a call center per se, but we will have the folks that we're hiring remote will need to use the phone quite a bit. So we'll see how that goes. Interesting. I would have never thought you were going to say like Verizon. I figured they'd be like way overpriced and junk, but it sounds like they've got it figured out. Yeah, I think... It's actually been a really good platform. I don't think we've had any issues with that platform. Yeah. We've had, we've had other issues that we would have never foreseen, <laughs> which have been <laughs> like outside of how, outside of our training, like not working and having to rebuild that, which Brandon, you did a great job. You really did. But like natural disasters are volcanoes. Like literally, there was a tsunami, <laughs> right? It was a tsunami or was no, it? No, there like, was. Well, there was hurricanes that yeah. caused flooding. There was mass power outages. Yeah. This was like two months ago. And then like a month later, they're like, hey, I might be down for a couple hours. We're being evacuated. And we're like, what the hell are you talking about? There's like an active volcano. <laughs> you, you guys were just too preoccupied with, with gas shortages. Yeah, that yeah that's, never even saw that's it exactly coming. right. That's exactly, <laughs> yeah, this gas shortage might hit us, but like they've got a volcano a mile away from their house. <laughs> it, it was crazy, crazy. But yeah, it's been a really interesting learning experience. If money is the only reason, I don't recommend it. But if it gives you a competitive advantage somehow, then like go for it. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We're just getting started, so I'll report back. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing. All right, cool. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate you diving into the engineering company. And I'm, I'm looking forward to like, I'm going to DM you in like a month or two. I just want to know how it went. Like, are you guys building on top of each other the way you thought you would? And I think that'll be cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see too. It's, I'm going to get to see my first KPIs. I think later this week we have like our first board meeting. So I get to really see how things have been going. Yeah. Month one down. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Cool. Well, Peter, thanks so much for coming on today. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So a couple different ways, and all this is linked on my website, peterloman.com, but you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at PS Loman, very active on there, talking property management, real estate, small business. Gaming. And then the other big one would be my podcast, Owner Occupied. 
Sounds very similar to owned and operated. His came out first, I think. It just came out first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all good. So we just wrapped up season one. We did, I think, 18 episodes. We're on like summer oh, yeah. break right now. I'm hoping to be back with season two in the fall with a lot more interviews. But I've got a lot of good feedback on that. So if you like this show, you'll probably like that one. Yeah. Awesome. 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 All right. Thanks. And make sure to check us out at ownandoperated.com and sign up for our newsletter and follow Brandon and I on Twitter. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. This is fun. Thanks.